0: morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Botte in Washington. Today is Tuesday, July 19th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. An assessment of the SADC military mission in Mozambique a year after its deployment.
1: Considering the situation at the beginning of the mission, there has been a lot of achievement and we remain optimistic in that regard.
0: The European Union launches an election observer mission to Kenya in Malawi, a call to investigate alleged foul play in the death of a former president. A new report says Eritrean refugees are relocated from Addis Ababa to dangerous areas, and Ghanaian health authorities confirm cases of Marburg virus disease. Marburg
2: is a viral disease of the nature of hemorrhagic fever. It causes fever bleeding from the gums series, among others, quite similar to Ebola.
0: And Ethiopia's wheat production is expected to jump 70% this year. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The deputy force commander of the Southern African Development Community SADC military mission in Mozambique said there is still much to do to bring about peace and stability in the country. However, Brigadier Simon Maswana Bawa Basili of Botswana says given the nature of the threat before the deployment, the mission has made good progress. SADC deployed troops to Mozambique last year to support the country's army in its fight against jihadists in the resource-rich northern Cabo Delgado province. Rwanda had earlier sent its own troops prior to the SADC deployment. Brigadier Bawabasili tells me the Mozambique mission is a good example of using African resources to solve African problems.
1: The objectives of the mandate are not yet uh, fully met and this is not unusual considering the nature of threat being addressed. Normally, to deal with this kind of threat takes time and resources. It can, at the minimum, be estimated to take around five years or so to fully deal with this kind of challenge. Considering the situation at the beginning of the mission, there has been a lot of achievement, and we remain optimistic in that regard.
0: There is a Rwandan contingent in Mozambique. From the beginning of the deployment a year ago, there was some confusion as to whether Rwanda was deploying individually
1: or as part of SADC. When SADC forces deployed into Cabo Delgado province last year, Rwanda was already in the northeastern part of the province. And as a norm for friendly military forces, When they meet in theater, there was link up by all forces, commanders or leaders in the province at the time. Uh, That is uh, SADC forces, Mozambique uh, defense forces, and uh, Rwanda security forces. This was in the form of uh, a meet and greet meeting. That meeting set the stage for future joint coordinating uh, meetings, and to date, we have had uh, about uh, three major joint operations together. After all, the forces' missions had basically the same objectives. Is also fulfilling in regards to our yesteryear African leaders who envisioned undertakings such as uh, this one, where, as Africans, we will be able to use African resources to implement African solutions to solve African problems. You were sent to Mozambique because of the uh,
0: crisis in the country's Cabo delgado province, where jihadist militants were wreaking havoc on the residents of the area. How much difference do you think the deployment of SADC forces has made in terms of bringing peace and stability
1: to the region? Yes, I can say a lot has been achieved. However, there is still more to be done, and it can be done. And I believe as SADC we are committed to doing it. We do take note that uh, there are some areas which have regained security and peace since SADC forces deployed. On the other hand, there are those areas which uh, still have to experience that security and peace. And we believe that any life lost by an innocent civilian is a loss to many. It is because of this understanding that while we recognize the gains we made, we are most engaged and highly concerned with the amount of work still to be done in protecting these innocent and civilians. Thank you so much, sir. It was a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much, sir, for your interest in this noble task and for your patience. May God bless you.
0: Brigadier Simon Moswana Bawabasili is the Deputy Force Commander of the Southern African Development Community SADC Military Mission in Mozambique. He is speaking with us from Habruni. The European Union has named an official mission to observe elections in Kenya this year. Its launch comes barely a month before the nationwide vote. Maureen Ojiambo reports.
3: This is the fifth European Union Election Observation Mission to Kenya. Speaking in Nairobi during his recent four-day visit, the chief observer of the European Union Election Observation Mission to the country, Ivan Stefanek, said that the launch shows that the EU cares about democracy in Kenya.
4: We are strictly neutral. We don't want to interfere into the process. We would like to observe the process.
3: Neutrality,
4: this is our key principle. And also, we work naturally according to international agreement we keep all the agreements and we keep our neutrality we start uh, to observe already campaign we will continue with uh, election process and also we will watch The process afterwards, after elections.
3: The observer is holding meetings with a wide range of panelists, including state authorities, political contestants, members of the judiciary, media stakeholders, citizen observers, as well as other civil society representatives, to discuss the ongoing electoral process. Stefanik says they have already dispatched long-term observers in 39 of the 47 counties.
4: We have sent already these long-term observers to the counties and they are already working. They are in touch also with uh, respective institutions and also with the candidates, with uh, the authorities, with uh, all stakeholders of uh, electoral process.
3: For the first time in Kenya, the EU has a dedicated election technology analyst who will assess the use of technologies in different phases of the election process. Also named is a social media analyst who leads a team of six social media observers to assess the role of social media and digital communication in the process. The mission will also monitor a range of traditional media, including local language radio stations. Beata Martin is the deputy chief observer. So according to that methodology, although we're not able to observe every polling station in the countries that we go to, we do a sampling of the polling stations on Election Day in a way that gives us a representative picture so that we can understand how the main trends of the election are occurring and then to be able to reflect that in an honest way that has integrity. So we will do it according to a very well-established methodology that gives us a good picture and a representative picture. Around 180 observers from EU member states, Norway, Switzerland, and Canada, will observe the voting, counting, and tabulation process on 9th August. The mission will issue a preliminary statement and hold a press conference in Nairobi two days after elections. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo. In Nairobi, Kenya.
0: In Malawi, a leading member of the main opposition Democratic Progressive Party, the DPP, says there are deep divisions within the group following an allegation that deceased President Bingu Wat Mutarika died from poisoning. Ken Umsonda is also the executive director of a local think tank called Independent Political and Good Governance Analysis. He tells viewers Peter Clotte the group is calling on the police to further investigate those alleged to be responsible for the death of the former president.
5: Well, it's very, very unfortunate that these allegations are coming are uh, from the former head of state, who is the brother to the late president. Mind you, death of a head of state or an allegation that a head of state was poisoned and then killed is a very serious allegation. And then uh, what raises eyebrows to all of us as Malawians, not only me, but the rest of Malawians who love this country, who loved our former president, is there was a commission of inquiry which was set by the former president, her ex Banda, in 2012. And the report actually indicated very clearly that the president died of cardiac arrest. And we all have the report. I have the report. Malawi has have the report. Including former head of state. Now, for us, our president of GDB, uh, our former head of state, to come up with such serious criminal allegations, it's very unfortunate. Very, very unfortunately and the million dollar question that people are asking is why now he has opened the pond of worms people have got more questions than answers now now but do you think that another independent investigation into this allegation could possibly put this allegation to rest well some of us would say that it's just a matter of trying to divert the attention that people have in malawi at the moment all of us our attention is to make sure that the fight against corruption which the current president, his excellency, Reverend Dr. uh, Mm Razas Makati Chakwela, has initiated. So some of these things we are tempted to believe they just want to take away people's attention. Why now? It's just a waste of time, a waste of resources. The investigation was done. A commission of inquiry was done. Your party, the DPP, appears to be divided even before this allegation was made. So some people suggest that this could further divide the party apart or worsen the division. What do you say to that? Exactly, exactly. Those sentiments are right. Because at the moment, we have a very serious issue within our party. People have been fighting for the party presidency. And yes, it's true, the party is deeply divided. And instead of us moving forward as a family to resolve these in-house differences, which are resolvable anyway. Because all we need to do is to follow the constitution. The constitution says ngc national government council members are supposed to meet once a year we've never met since 2018 when we went for the con- uh, for the convention so all we needed to do was to make sure that we uh, actually uh, agree to disagree move together ngc meet and then we resolve and then move forward now these allegations it's just a waste of time it's a waste of time it's unfortunate that the so was lost you know loss of any so is very very regrettable and here we're talking of the uh, the head of state the former head of state now Bringing in such allegations, it's very unfortunate and very unwise. Some of us are very, very disappointed, honestly. Within the party, we never expected it coming from, from, uh, from our party leadership, honestly. Especially where our party president says he knows the people who killed our president, he knows them, but he cannot talk much. So we, we're calling upon the uh, Malawi Police Service to, to further, not investigate, but to further a probe because we have a witness here.
0: Ken Umsonda is the leading member of Malawi's main opposition Democratic Progressive Party. He was speaking from Lilongwe with viewers' Peter Clotty. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Butty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, July 19th. The aid group of refugees international has expressed concern about the reported relocation of more than 100 Eritrean refugees from areas near Addis Ababa to camps on the unstable border between Ethiopia's Amhara and Tigray regions. Mohamed Youssef reports from VUES Africa News Center in Nairobi, Kenya.
6: Ethiopian authorities are accused of targeting Eritrean refugees by arresting them in the capital and sending them back to the country's restive north. Abdullahi Haleke is a refugees international senior advocate for East and Southern Africa. The last few days, uh, Eritrean refugees who have been living in Ethiopia for some time now, and so the government rounded up these refugees who are in in Addis Ababa in several buses and took them back to the Amhara region. And as you well know, that the Amhara region and the Tigray region uh, they border each other and there is tension. Amhara and Tigrayan forces have been fighting over land and other long-standing disputes. About 20,000 Eritrean refugees lived in two refugee camps in the Tigray region before the war between Ethiopia's government and Tigrayan rebels broke out in November 2020. After Eritrean and Tigrayan forces allegedly attacked the camps, many of the refugees fled to the Amhara and Afar regions, with others moving to the capital of Addis Ababa. In late 2020, Ethiopian authorities carried out a similar operation targeting Irritian refugees in the capital, sending them to Adi Harush and Mai Ani in the Tigray region at the height of the war. Halaka says in many ways, irritant refugees are the most vulnerable group in Ethiopia. They are caught between Eritrean government tracking them because uh, it paints a bad image about their country and, you know, the warring parties inside Ethiopia also targeting them. As such, they are in probably the most difficult position. So death, sexual violence and so many other egregious human rights uh, and humanitarian violations have been visited upon them. Last year, Human Rights Watch said Eritrean forces and Tigray militias committed killings, rape and other abuses against Eritrean refugees. Ethiopia hosts at least 140,000 Eritreans who fled hardship and persecution in their home country. Refugees International, an organisation which promotes human rights and the protection of refugees, is calling on Ethiopian authorities to respect its laws and protect Eritrean refugees from those who wish to harm them. Mohamed Yusuf, for VA News, Nairobi.
0: Despite an ongoing civil war and a record drought, Ethiopia's wheat production is expected to jump 70% this year as it seeks to reduce reliance on food imports. While the boost in wheat provides a glimmer of hope, millions of displaced Ethiopians will need food aid, which has been disrupted by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Henry Wilkins reports from Simira, Ethiopia.
7: In the skirts of Samara, a town in Ethiopia's Afar region, tractors prepare the soil to plant wheat. Irrigated fields are a rare but increasingly common sight in the region. The Ethiopian government's drive to plant more wheat means production of the grain will increase from 1.42 million tonnes last year to 2.4 million tonnes this year, according to government figures. Ghetto Kassa works on the field in Samara.
1: Oh, uh, I'm
7: He says the government aims for the programme to cover any demand coming from the market and reduce imports, adding that it should also provide job opportunities for the population. Hilmaraya Mabara, another worker, says the project has had a positive impact for him. He says he used to work for 1,900 beer on another programme, but now that this programme has begun, he gets 3,000 from it. That means Sabara's income has jumped from 36 to 57 US dollars per month. The government's goal by next year is to eliminate the need to import any wheat at all. Mohammed Noor Ali is an official in Samara.
1: During the past year,
7: we were planning to plant wheat on 8,400 hectares of land, he says. We succeeded in implementing this goal through the cooperation of joint efforts between the Ethiopian government and the people, adding we also strive to increase our efforts and up production even further. However, the U.S. Department of Agriculture says Ethiopia's goal to eliminate the need for imports next year is unrealistic. Ethiopia's need for continued food aid is clear, says Valerie Browning, from the Afar Pastoralist Development Association, a non-profit in Samara.
2: Afar region has never been in a worse situation. Uh, we've got a situation that's doubled up between the effects of conflict and that of the drought, because the situation now is that the government says actually 95% of all are food insecure.
7: The severe regional drought and Ethiopia's war between the central government and the Tigray region have left an estimated 20.4 million people in Ethiopia in need of food aid, says the UN's World Food Programme, WFP. Additionally, warring parties have also been accused of withholding food from reaching vulnerable populations. The crisis in Ukraine has exacerbated existing conditions, reducing wheat imports and driven up the price of food by 67%, says the WFP. At the same time, says the UN's Food and Agriculture Organisation, FAO, Russia has imposed restrictions on fertiliser exports that could make growing wheat more difficult and expensive. Chimimba David Firi is the FAO's sub-regional coordinator for East Africa.
0: Countries like Ethiopia, obviously, uh, that have been importing uh, wheat uh, and fertiliser uh, uh, get very badly affected.
7: For those most in need of food aid, any help, in the form of wheat or otherwise, cannot come soon enough. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Samara, Ethiopia.
0: Health authorities in Ghana are appealing to the public to be vigilant but not to panic as the country tracks down the origin of the malboro virus disease. According to the World Health Organization, Marburg is like Ebola and transmitted to humans by fruit bats and spread in humans through direct contact with the body fluids of infected people. Dr. Patrick Kuma Abuaje is the Director General of the Ghana Health Services. He tells me that blood samples from two people in the southern Ashanti region have been tested and confirmed and that those identified as possible contact cases have been quarantined.
2: My is a a viral disease of the nature of hemorrhagic fever. So it causes fever, bleeding from the gums, bloody stools, among others. Quite similar to Ebola.
0: How many cases now do you think have been discovered in Ghana?
2: On the 7th of July, that's when we picked up uh, two cases from one district in the middle part of Ghana, where both of them died within a short period. We suspected a hemorrhagic fever. We took sample, and then it turned out to be Marburg from the Noguchi Institute for Medical Research, which is a uh, center of excellence in Ghana. For quality of assurance, we sent samples again to this two participants in um, Dakar, with support from WHO, just to confirm. And uh, the result came out as positive yes. That is uh, it's Marburg disease. This is the very first case in Ghana. So we've set up surveillance system. We've been able to identify about 93 contacts. When initial outbreak investigations, we have 34. We found a few more that they care about 93. The first batch has completed the incubation period of 21 days. India, but we still have a few. we had contact data. We are monitoring to see uh, what happens. On the 93 we have identified, we have tested 13 of them, they are all negative, and uh, we continue to do community based surveillance, engaging the community members to enhance surveillance, to pick up any new case or any contacts that we may have made.
0: As you mentioned, this MABA has some relationship or is almost like uh, Ebola. So, is there any information in terms of the origin of these particular cases that you're tracing or tracking? Where did it come from?
2: we know it's from a particular district we are tracing the movement of those uh, the two persons involved so far we've not been able to identify any particular spot where uh, it came from but our investigations continue to see where the possible in this case where they must have come in contact uh, with them and so we continue to to search how large
0: is your contact tracing i mean how many people do you think might have come into contact
2: We've been able to identify about names three people who are health workers, family members who are with them, some people in, in the mortuary who may have handled the bodies. And um, one of them, before results came, had been buried. And so, all those who participated in the barrier, who got closer, these are our contacts. And we continue to search and engage in the community to look out and also. ensure that no need we provide education
0: also not to create panic. That's what we are doing. That's Doctor Patrick Kuma Abuaje, the Director General of the Ghana Health Services. He was speaking with us from Accra Ghana. And that's it for this Tuesday, July 19th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Butte in Washington, wishing you will have a great Tuesday.
6: Hey, sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash VOA sunny and on Twitter at VOA sunny sports or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on The Voice of America.
0: VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from Bubu music to hip life, bonga flavor to succus, afrobeat to Dumbolo and makosa to quaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 0905 and 2005 UTC, right after the international news.